And so Paul uses the military to illustrate the believer's conflict with Satan. And it's a familiar um, term that Paul uses or illustration. He uses it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He uses it in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he uses it here in Ephesians chapter number 6. In fact, when Paul's writing this, he's chained to a Roman soldier. And so he's familiar with that of the military, and those that he's writing to is familiar with military ideas. And as Christians, we face three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, illustrate that as well. And the world is that system around us that is opposed to God. And maybe it's a little bit more obvious that we are living in a world system more so than, than before. But the fact is, we've always been in a world system. It's just that there's been more restraint and, and there's been a little bit more respect for the things of God. But we find a world system that caters to the lust of the flesh. It caters to the pride of life. In fact, the world system is simply society apart from God. I, I like watching some of the Andy Griffith uh, shows, the reruns there. And, and, but even taking something that may be as, as innocent as an Andy Griffith or a Little House on the Prairie or whatever you may find, you're still looking at the world system because by and large they're trying to communicate to us that life that they are living or displaying is normal apart from God. They may have a little bit of religion here and there, but by and large they, are, they exist because they're communicating life apart from God. That's the world. The flesh is that old nature that we inherited from Adam. It's the that residual uh, effect that's left over from uh, when we were born in sin. Even though we received a new nature when we got saved, we still have that, those, those old tendencies. And, and um, we have to make choices as to who we're going to listen to. And that's in a different message we already dealt with. But the flesh and Jesus Christ, by His death, burial, and resurrection, He overcame the world. He overcame the flesh, and he also overcame the devil. And so that's why we say as believers, we do not fight for victory. You know, he's already won that. He's established it. We are fighting from victory. And the Spirit of God will enable us by faith to appropriate Christ's victory when it comes to the world, when it comes to our flesh, and it comes to the devil. And on these verses in Ephesians chapter 6, we've looked at them many times and we're going to look at them again. We're going to read them again because I want us to get very familiar with this. And Paul discusses some topics in these closing verses of Ephesians chapter number 6. And he's dealt with the enemy. We've talked about the enemy. And then he moves into the equipment. And that's where we still exist. We're dealing with the equipment, the, the armor. And we're going to look at that again tonight. The enemy in verses 10 through 12, the equipment in verses 13 through 17. So let's stand together and we'll pick up our reading in verse number 10 
And I, I, I encourage you, if you haven't memorized these, do so. And you say, I can't memorize. Let me, let me tell you, the best way I think to memorize verses is not working at memorizing them. It's just the repetition of them. And just repeat them. You do this a hundred times and um, you're going to have it down. They may not have it word for word, but just by virtue of going through it, reading through it, and even taking time to write out these verses, you will have them in your mind. The same way you memorized your, your phone number and address, uh, you memorized a credit card number, uh, you, you've said it many times. Dr. Childs still knows his military ID number, and that is, that is shocking. His social security number, well, that one's easy. It's zero, 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 one. <laughs> and Brother Weimer's zero, 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 two. And so, uh, but it's just from having, I don't know how he remembers things. He remembers all kinds of things. And, but we, when we rehearse and repeat and review, they'll stick with us. And these are some good verses to stick with us. Let's pick up the reading in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, that is in light of all that I've been writing to you. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Again, you see the emphasis on the whole armor. This is not pick and choose. That ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. And then he continues on into the element of prayer, which is just as essential as the armor itself. Tonight, I want us to look at this matter of the shield of faith. The shield of faith as we continue on the journey of the equipment, the armor. And the reason for this, he told us several times so we can stand. Don't lose ground. Don't give up ground to the devil. The Lord Jesus won it. It's victorious. It's bought. It's paid for. It's a done deal. Stand. And we can stand. We don't have to fall. When we do fall, we can get back up and stand. And this is the armor that will help us to keep on standing. The shield of faith. Thank you. Please be seated. We've looked at three pieces of the armor of God that we need to wear in order to be well-dressed for warfare. Those first three pieces we talked about are the ones you're to wear all the time. The other three are the ones we pick up when we need it. And we take this because of the, the verb uh, they're having. In verse number uh, 14, stand therefore having. And it indicates at all times, we're to have at all times the belt of truth. Have at all times the breastplate of righteousness. Have at all times the shoes of the gospel of peace. Well, then the next three are what we're to have at hand, ready to pick it up when we need them. And Paul switches the verbs from 
having, that is having them all the time, to, in verse number 16, take up. Taking the shield of faith. Take, verse 17, the helmet of salvation. Take the sword of the Spirit. And so we mentioned, I think I mentioned this, this can be compared to a baseball player. When he suits up in his uniform during a ball game, he never removes his uniform. But he takes up his bat when he needs it. He takes up his glove when he needs it. The bat and glove are provided by the team, made available, but he's got to take it up and he has to appropriate them. No one forces us, just as God is not forcing us um, to take the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, or the sword of the Spirit. We have to take them up. We have to be aware of what they are and how to use them. And God makes these equipment, this equipment, these pieces of armor available. And these first of these next three pieces, again, is the shield of faith. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith. Now, Roman soldiers' shield typically measured, they say, two and a half to four feet, two and a half feet wide, four feet long. In battle, the soldier could crouch down behind this shield when being targeted by arrows. When positioned correctly underneath the protection of a shield, the soldiers were completely covered. And, and I read where they could uh, side by side engage and lock in with each other and just have a massive wall of shield. Why do we need this shield? Well, it says so that in verse 16, we can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. When does a Christian need to take up his shield? Well, go back to verse 13. We're to take up this shield. It says, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. But when exactly is the evil day? What is this evil day? Well, the evil day is the day that all hell breaks loose in your life. When you're under attack. It's when the finances are so low, you don't know how you're going to make it through the end of the week. It's when you've lost your job and there's no new job in sight. It's when you're breaking down emotionally and you've lost your passion just for life. It's when your marriage seems hopeless. Your kids have turned away. Your health deteriorates. Your future looks bleak. It's when your friend has betrayed you. When you're overcome by an addiction or an impulse or life seems to deliver some other kind of piercing stab in your life. It's on this day, what the scripture refers to as the evil day, that you especially need to be covered. You need a shield. You need protection because on this day, you are most vulnerable to the targeted attacks of the evil one. To understand the importance of this protective power of the shield of faith, I, I think about the space capsule that would re-enter the earth's atmosphere. When a space capsule returns to the earth after having accomplished its mission, it, it would not be able to reach the earth if it were not surrounded by a shield. And that heat-generated um, upon re-entry into the earth's atmosphere, it would burn up the capsule. Everyone in it, 
a matter of seconds if it were not completely covered and protected. When we take up the shield of faith, it allows us to be completely covered and protected from an atmosphere of hostility, an atmosphere that is designed by, by, this, by the devil himself in this world that is antagonistic towards the Lord and the things that you value and your own flesh. You need this protective shield. I want you to see a few things and I won't have them on the screen. You just have to take notes here. But I want you to notice that the shield of faith can be referred to as the shield that is faith. It's the shield that is faith. And the shield of faith, I believe, is faith. It's what it actually is. So in order to know that what we're to shield ourselves behind, we need to understand the content, the scope of faith. Because the shield of faith is faith. Faith is critical to achieving not just salvation, but victory in spiritual warfare. Now, there's three verses I want you to get down. Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Galatians 2 and verse 20. And 1 John 5 and verse 4. Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Galatians 2 and verse 20. And 1 John 5 and verse 4. I think, Brother Cherry, we can get these verses up here. Let's go to Hebrews 12 and verse 2. We'll look at this. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is both the author and finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. So Jesus is the, he's the, the origin, he's the uh, the one who creates, he's the one who captains my faith. Then Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Paul writes, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The faith of the Son of God. That's how Paul says I live I live by the faith of the Son of God. And then 1 John 5 and verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. You see the last three words? Even our faith. And so from these verses, three very important truths are given. In Hebrews 12 and verse 2, when it tells us that Jesus is the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith, he's letting us know that Jesus Christ embodies all the ingredients of faith. From, from faith's creation to faith's perfection. Jesus Christ embodies all the ingredients of faith. That's Hebrews 12, 2. The second truth we can learn in these verses is Galatians 2.20. When Paul says, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The second truth, it tells us that we who are saved by trusting in Christ are also positioned for victory because Christ lives in us. We, we are positioned, we are predestined 
for victory because Christ is positioned in us. The third truth is that of 1 John 5 and verse 4, and that is the key to victory in overcoming strongholds, addictions, battles in spiritual warfare, and more. The key is faith. So the shield that is faith is very critical. Those three verses, I believe, are very basic, foundational, and they're very liberating if we'll have that as far as helping us in the scope of faith. So what is faith? Faith is one of those things you can have many different definitions, but oftentimes it's not so much defined as it is described, but nonetheless it can help us. What is faith? The simple, most direct definition I can give for faith is this. Faith is acting as if God is telling the truth. Faith is just acting as if God is telling the truth. You know why I got saved? Because I just acted as though God was telling the truth that if I put my dependence upon Him, He'd give forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And when you and I get saved, we, don't, we ought not live any different than that of living by faith. Another way of saying it is faith is acting as if something is so, even when it appears not to be so, in order that it might be shown to be so, simply because God said so. Amen. Do I need to say that again? All right. Faith is acting as if something is so, even when it appears not to be so, in order that it might be shown to be so, simply because God said so. See, faith is directly tied to an action done in response to a revealed truth. Faith is directly tied to an action done in response to a revealed truth. Truth. And this brings us back to that, that first piece of equipment. Truth. Truth. It's no surprise that the belt of truth was the first piece of armor listed because many of the other pieces are interconnected with truth in some way. If you don't know the truth or if you don't act on the truth, the shield of faith is impotent. It will have no effect. It might look good. You might be able to talk about it. You might be able to describe it, but you're not doing anything with it of value until you tie it to truth. That's why this Sunday School series is helping us to avoid confusion. How? By digging into the truth, by standing on truth, by letting truth uh, uh, do its work within our, our confused society. And oftentimes it creeps into our minds and it becomes confused way of thinking. And so, in order to have faith, you have to know and respond to truth. And that's why we saw earlier, truth is fundamentally, it's God's viewpoint on a matter. Over the years, I've heard a number of people talk about faith. I'm believing God, I'm trusting God. But they showed no outward connection to God's truth. And yet they still wondered why faith didn't seem to be working for them. Maybe you know people like that. Maybe you can remember a time when, where you were in that situation. You go through life thinking, well, if I can just get a little bit more faith than what I'm trying to do or what I'm trying to get, it'll happen. If I can just get more faith, but even a large amount of faith, if it's not tied to truth, will not be able to accomplish anything. 
See, faith is only as valuable as the thing to which it is tied. That's why when you focus your faith on your faith, you're going to get frustrated. Your faith ought not be focused on your faith. Someone says, I need more faith. No, you have all the faith you'll ever need. It's not the, the lack of faith that's the issue. It's the lack of truth that's the issue. It's the lack of what we're doing with the truth. So faith is only as valuable as the thing to which it's tied. Faith that is tied to your feelings is going to derail you. Faith that is, never, that is based upon what, what you observe in the five senses is going to hinder you. See, faith is never to be based on how much faith you feel. There are times where I didn't feel like I had a, a lot of faith at all, but that's not where I was focusing. I was focusing on the truth, and God came through because God honors His Word. God's true. Faith is always based, listen, on your feet. Faith is always based on your feet. What you do in response to what you believe. It's one of the, the reasons I wound up in Bible college. The, the moment that I finally unloaded and surrendered to the Lord... In the summer, I graduated from high school, and I was making plans and, and, and had made already the trips to the, the, the different colleges for football and, and just come back from, from one particular college and, and just trying to decide where to go. But as soon as I yielded to God and said, God, I'm tired of, just like this morning's message, I'm tired of, of human initiative. I'm tired of trying to work this out and attach your blessing to it just because it, it just it's better than the rest of the crowd. I'm tired of that. And I finally just surrendered to the Lord. When I surrendered to the Lord and I made it known to my pastor, I said, I, I, I just yielded to God. That's all I need to do is just get right with God. And immediately, as soon as I got right with God, the first desire that came into my heart and life was, I want to serve God. And, and, and a few more hours, it seemed, went by, and, and I began to, to think, you know, I sure like what my pastor does. Well, I, I, I would like to. If God would let me preach, I'd like to preach. And I went to my pastor and told my pastor, and I thought he was just going to, to laugh and, and, and belittle this notion. When I told him, I said, you know, I, I told you, I got right with God. I said, I think God's called me to preach. And he said, I know he is. And he said, what are you going to do about it? And I said, well, I don't know what to do. What, what, what should I do? And he says, what do you think? And I said, well, I don't think I need to go play football. He said, I don't think you should either. And, um, and he's the one who, who began to get me thinking that a call to preach is a call to prepare. There's many ways to prepare. And this was two weeks in, and school had already started. Bible college has already been in session for two, two weeks. And, and I'd called around, and, and I had other, others call around to other schools, and schools are reaching out to me, Bible colleges. And so I was thinking, well, I'll spend this semester and go around and look at the schools and and then I'll start in January, second semester, because I'm already two weeks behind. And the first school was the one closest. It was an hour and a half away, Ambassador Baptist College. I had never been there, never heard of Dr. Comfort. But my pastor said, you need to look at it. 
And he says, I haven't been there, but we can drive over. He drove me over on a Friday. And remember going over and, and I just thought this place, this, this, this is the, the most beautiful place. This was the, the greatest place I had ever been. Now, let me tell you something about Ambassador. It was in the second year of the college. It had bought a piece of property that used to be, I think, a, a Christian day school. It had no gymnasium. I think it had a basketball goal in the back and, um, and only had 77 students. Um, I, I, I think it was 70, I think it was 75 at that point. And, um, and, and 74, because I came and then actually two others came right after that made it 77. I think there were, there were maybe, maybe four girls that were there and they were bigger than any of the guys. And so there was nothing humanly that you look at and say, man, this is, this is a campus that's going to draw people in. But I'll tell you, I was, there was no nonsense for me at that point. I, I was ready to serve God and, and faith Faith is always based on your feet. And I visited on Friday and I started college on Monday. And I remember hearing over and over and over again when things were, this was so, hearing things I'd never heard, being challenged with things I'd never been challenged with, that a call to preach is a call to prepare. He said, well, God hasn't called me to preach. A, a call to Jesus is a call for giving your all. And so there's still, it doesn't make any difference whether you preach or you don't preach. Preaching is not way up here and anybody who's not a preacher is way down here. No, the will of God is the greatest thing in all the world and, and doing and finding and knowing God's will. But the key to it is faith. And the key to faith is putting feet to the truth you already know. And yet and there were people I would see come to college and they'd say, uh, they come to visit and they say, I think God wants me here. God wants, God wants me to serve. And I find out years later, they're still working the same job they still hadn't gotten after. They still had not taken that step. And then there are times where even while there I'm thinking, if that's what I did to get here, then maybe I need to take a step to get out before I graduate. Would always be tempted, what if Jesus comes before I graduate? I need to get out and do something. Well, I'm telling you, still faith is tied to feet. And feet is not getting the human initiative in there. It's staying in the realm of the divine. You know, I believe when the Lord comes back, there's still going to be somebody left in Bible college. When the Lord comes back, there's still going to be people that are not able to see to fulfillment that which God had put within their heart. But you don't find success after you've done everything on your bucket list. You find success in being in the will of God today. You get in the will of God today, you're in the right place to find God's will tomorrow. And so don't, don't start thinking, I've got to bail out, I've got to drop this, I've got to do this and get out of God's will. No, but what we do need to do is look at truth and put faith in the truth of God's word and faith is tied to our Feet. Faith is acting on the truth whether I feel truth or not. It's acting on the truth whether I like the truth or not. It's also acting on the truth whether I agree with truth or not. When I believe the Lord brought Christy and I together my senior year of Bible college and and I had been taught how to go about finding the, 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 the right person, the right time, the right way. 
but I had been exposed to, I, I think, I don't think I've done it right leading up to that. And, and I wanted to be so careful in this. And, and I really believed God was in bringing Christy into my life. And, but I didn't have a, a, a father. I didn't have some of those things that would have helped and protect. And, but I had an adopted dad and still do. And, and that's Dr. Childs. And I remember going to Dr. Childs and, and saying, I, I don't, I don't want to miss God's will. I don't want to mess up God's will. And so we made an agreement. If Dr. Childs was not for Christy and me, not that he wasn't for her, but if he wasn't for us being together, the thing's done, it's over. And we were protecting so that we didn't get our hearts going before God had given the green light. And it wasn't just him, it was our family and, and then pastor and she had a pastor. And, and, and I'm laying all this out because I know the danger of human initiative. It was just this morning, don't forget about Hagar. Don't forget about Sarah saying, I don't know if, if it's going to work out the way we wanted it to work out. We can go about it this way. I want to tell you, God's always right on time. And I remember Christy going in and interviewing with Dr. Childs. I don't know if we called it an interview, but it was like an interview. I, I felt like I was telling her, good luck. I, I hope you pass. And and I think after the interview, he was more for her than he was for me. And, uh, and he was trying to introduce her to somebody else, I think, after that. I don't remember. But, you know, I'm so glad. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that even though I may not have liked, if he had said, I just don't see it, I was willing to submit to the truth. The truth, that is, that God, that I have blind spots and God puts leadership and, and God put, puts people in our life to help us. I'm saying faith is acting on the truth, whether I might agree with the truth or not. Simply put it this way, faith is a function of the mind that shows up in my feet. It, it does. It, you know, to say, I believe the gospel, but we don't ever give the gospel we don't really believe the gospel. Let me give you an example of how our feelings cannot be trusted in connection with truth. Now, I don't advocate this. It's just, it's just a bad illustration because it's the only thing that comes to my mind offhand. But when I was in high school, I remember going with some uh, uh, friends to a haunted house. Again, I, I don't advocate that. And, and it's, I think things are a lot worse and different than what it was then. But I remember there in North Carolina... Uh, we would find out where they were, and, and um, of course, we were tough, and, and so we were not going to be scared, and, and uh, it was just going to be a time of, uh, of being together, and, and it was just that time of the year when it gets fall and cold or cool, and, and we go to these places, and you know, I knew, I knew even as a teenager that the monsters were not roaming around in the month of October. I knew that. And I knew those corpses coming out of the graves were not real. I knew that. And I knew those chainsaws were actually harmless. But somehow, I still would squirm, I would jump, and I would even scream. Actually, it was one of the other guys that, that would scream. But, but, but I, I, I would still experience those emotions. And, and I remember going home one night and, and trying to go to sleep. And I would toss and turn because my mind was racing with the scenes, the scenes that I knew were not real. 
In fact, I knew when, when we got the ticket and we got the map and where we were, I knew it wasn't real. Uh, however, my feelings were still responding as if I thought it might be real. And this is because this is the way it was designed. These actors made us feel as if it were real. They manipulated the lighting. They manipulated the sound and the effects to make the event seem real so they could manipulate my feelings. And the truth is, I could never overcome the effects on my emotions until my mind overcomes my emotions. Because my emotions are continuing to perpetuate the lie that I experience. As long as that lie remains lodged within me, that horrific moment, it could keep me up at night. It could instill nightmares into my brain, even though I know it's not true. It's a very weak, insufficient illustration. I'm telling you, there is a real battle that takes place outside of our five senses. And when we allow our faith to be defined by our feelings, we're always going to be confused. See, faith must have an objective standard by which it's defined. What is the objective standard? What is it? The Word of God, truth. In fact, when faith operates by an objective standard of truth, it eventually will dictate to our emotions rather than in reverse. You see how, how we are so fickle we, if we go off of our emotions. Yeah. I don't feel like going into work today. I don't feel like going to opset today. I don't feel like passing out tracks today. I don't feel like having a door slammed in my face. And we can make up excuses for that. Well, I, I think we got things we got to do around the house. Well, why don't you tell your feelings to shut up? You need to put your faith in objective truth. Don't say you believe God and your feet lie about it. Actually, your feet are telling what's true. Oftentimes what is required on our part is take a step. Make the move. Do the thing that God has asked us to do without the emotions that may go along with it. Do it. Don't wait for the emotions to catch up. Do what he says. That's why I talk about tithing. I don't know that tithing requires a lot of faith. I think that just requires obedience. He says to do it. But when it comes to the building, it comes to faith promise, it comes to some areas of sacrifice, there's going to be a little bit of faith involved. And, and, and faith promise is not, God, I promise to give it if you give it to me. No, faith promise is saying, God, I've prayed, you put this on my heart. I'm going to give it and I'm going to step out of the boat week after week or month after month, whatever the, 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 the setup is you have with God. And you're going to do it regardless of what you see, regardless of, of, of how you feel about it. That is faith promise. See, again, faith promise is not, I promise to give it, God, if you promise to give it to me. No, that's not faith promise. In fact, you don't need faith to do that. You'd just be waiting for God. Well, it's not my fault, it's God's fault. No, God wants you to put your feet where you say your faith is resting and, and take that step. 
And as you continue to walk by faith in the direction that God has nudged you or called you, you're going to find your emotions are soon going to follow. For example, the Bible tells us we're to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. Now, if you choose by faith to do a kind of action to someone you perceive to be your enemy, and you do something that is loving, kind, gracious towards them, the emotion of kindness toward that person will one day override your emotions of hate or anger or bitterness that you feel. So your, your emotions eventually kept, catch up with your feet. And your feet are revealing your faith. One of my favorite Bible illustrations of faith, there's a couple. One is Matthew 14 with Peter stepping out of the boat. And it's so picturesque and it's so simple, but it's so real. The other one is Luke chapter 5. And here we find faith carried out regardless of emotions. In Luke 5, Jesus is teaching a group that had gathered to listen to him near the lake. Uh, and it was a crowd starting to press and, and they were getting closer to Jesus. And so he called out the owners of the boat and, uh, and he borrowed their boats. And he got into the boat, got into Peter's boat, and Jesus continued to teach the crowd a short distance away while in the boat. In Luke chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, it says, Now when he, that is Jesus, had left speaking, he said unto Simon, that's Peter, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now, here's what I hear. I hear in, in Peter's words a sigh. And the sigh in Peter's words as he carefully tries to answer while also letting Jesus know that this is not his area of expertise. In my Billy Ingram translation, Peter is saying, Master, no offense, but maybe you should stick with preaching. You're good at it. But I've been fishing all my life as far back as I can remember. In fact, these boats are part of the Zebedee Corporation. When even uh, we, we were able to obtain a fancy logo. And beyond that, just so you're clear, we've been fishing all night. 12 hours straight, the fish are not biting. And if they're not biting at night, they're definitely not going to be biting during the day. Throwing our nets down for a catch at this time of the day, it's not only ridiculous, it's a waste of time and energy. It's an inefficient use of our equipment. Okay, Jesus? Oh, by the way, Peter continues, we're also in shallow water right now. Which if you knew anything about fishing, you would realize this is not where you catch the fish with the net. To which Jesus responds, just cast the net on the other side. Do what I say, Simon. Simon doesn't feel as if Jesus' command makes any sense. Simon's expertise in fishing, his perspective... It fuels his feeling that this doesn't make sense. But maybe even with a sigh or a huff, Peter does what Jesus says. 
He puts down his nets just, listen, just because Jesus said so. If you're familiar with this story, you know what happened next in verses 6 and 7. Peter and the other fishermen, they got the biggest catch of their lives. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. See, what Peter and the other fishermen discovered on that day and what you and I can discover through experience is this principle of faith. Faith means acting on what God says in spite of what you know. In spite of your background, in spite of your experience, in spite of your education, faith is a recognition of your own finiteness in relation to God's infiniteness. One of the greatest hindrances to living a life of faith is that many of us simply, we know too much. We have our master's degrees in various subjects. But we fail to know what the master of the subjects have to say. If we were half as educated in the word as we are in the world, we'd be further along in the life of victory. See, faith begins by knowing the truth and then acting on the truth so we can see God move. Now, I want you to get this. And here is the point of access. Before we go further in, into this powerful shield, faith does not make God move. I, I will even say that. Faith moves the hand of God. God is moved by faith. But, but I want you to get this. Faith does not make God move. All faith does is access what God has already declared and what God has already done. If you think that faith makes God move, you're going to be searching for a way to get more faith. However, as a child of God, you already have all the faith you're ever going to need to access anything God is ever going to do for you. Because Jesus said, if you have faith as the size of a grain of, because he's saying the size is not the issue, it's the object of our faith that's the issue. He says, if you had the size of a grain of mustard seed, faith to be that size, you could move a tree, you could move a mountain. And that's Matthew 17 and Luke chapter 17. In other words, Jesus is saying, when it comes to faith, a little dabble, do you? You don't need a lot of faith. No, you just need a lot of God. And faith is what accesses God. It's like when a person, I'm telling you, we're, we may, this may get confusing to us and complicated. Just go back to salvation. The simplicity of putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Well, how much of a person's faith, how much of your faith do you have to put in, in Christ to save you? And, and if, if you get into, well, you got to put all your faith. Did you put all your faith in Christ? Well, I don't know. I don't know how much is, is all, how much is most. I, I don't know. It's just trust him. It's just trust him. You, if a child can trust Jesus, it can't be that difficult. And we want to get into trust him with all your heart. Did you put all your heart's trust in Jesus? I don't know. I just trust him. 
See, faith is not difficult. Salvation is not difficult. There's an extreme simplicity in the profound gospel. But it's just trust him. Just, just take it. And if a child can do it, don't lose sight of the simplicity of it. And it doesn't change once we become his children. And so it's not that you need more faith. You say, well, why am I struggling? You have all the faith you'll ever need. So why do you say trust God? Well, we're to trust God, but you don't need more faith. What you need is more truth. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by? See, faith is the point of access. It's not the source of our power. The source of our power is God. He has all authority. He has all power. The power is in what God has already declared. The power is in what God has already deposited into our account, the wonderful grace of God, His, His divine life. And all faith is doing is just drawing on the grace. It's just drawing on what God has done. You give me your debit card and you say, here's my debit card, but there is absolutely nothing in the bank. It's not going to do me any good. But you give me your debit card and you say, I've got all the money you will ever need. For milkshake? Oh, for more than that. For a new car? Oh, more than that. A new house? Oh, more than that. You get the idea? And God is saying, I have everything you need. And I'm giving you the card. The card is faith. You don't need one that's fancy. You just need to exercise the one that you have. Because the key is not in how fancy your faith card is. The key is in the object. It's in the source. It's in God's riches in Christ Jesus. So I want to encourage you, stop looking for more faith. Faith accesses the grace that God has already deposited for you. Faith is only as valuable as the object of that faith. And when the object of that faith is God's revealed truth, even the tiniest amount of faith can move mountains. Wrong thinking often occurs whenever we believe we need to do good works to access what God has in store for us by His grace. And that, there again, that's what Paul is dealing with in Galatians with the with these Judaizers, agitators who come in and they're trying to get God's people who are saved by faith, they're trying to get them now to live by works. Again, faith is going to do. But what he's doing, what these agitators are doing, Paul's trying to get them to see is that they're putting their focus on what they're doing instead of putting their focus on the source of power, which is God. And so wrong thinking sets in. Our works actually exhibit our faith. Instead of trying to create the faith, we ought to be, uh, instead of trying to rather create the works, we just trust the one who does the work through us. Amen. It's like you've got all these, these cars sitting on a railroad track. And instead of trying to get behind them and push, you just link them up to the, to the locomotive and it'll do the pulling. And God is the one who does the work. Romans eleven six, 6, Paul says, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. In other words, you, it can't, 
It can't be both. And so Hebrews 11 is frequently referred to as the hall of faith. In this chapter, we read about men and women who were approved by God because of their faith. The list includes David and Samson and Rahab and Noah and Abraham, Moses and others. And the principle that's illustrated through their lives is that each and every situation, each and every one of them, their faith showed up in their feet. It wasn't that they're in this chapter because of what they thought. They're in the chapter not because of what they did. They're in the chapter because of who they depended upon. And when they depended upon him, then they performed what only God could accomplish. For example, by faith, Abel offered. By faith, Noah prepared. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Isaac blessed. By faith, Rahab welcomed. See, it's by faith each one of them reached down. They picked up the shield instead of letting it lean up against the wall. What would have happened to a Roman soldier if he didn't pick up that shield of faith when he went out into battle? The same thing that has happened to uh, law enforcement officers who didn't take the time to put on that bulletproof vest. And the Bible tells us that shield of faith is that protective gear. Habakkuk 2 and verse 4, the just shall live by faith. And that's why Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith. You ever seen someone who has a distinct way of walking? Have you ever picked up on your family member, maybe somebody coming down the hall, walking through the house, and you say, I know who that person is, just by their walk. God's people ought to have a distinct walk. It ought to be a faith walk that sets us apart from everyone else. And the only way we can have that kind of faith is to recognize that faith is not a feeling, it's not a discussion. Faith is an action taken based on the authorization of somebody who knows what he's talking about. That's God. Faith is only as valuable as the object in which it is placed. I stand down at the bottom and, and, and I say to uh, um, Brother Abe Baker, you stand up here on the platform, Brother Baker, and you jump into my arms. I don't know if Brother Baker would have faith. I think he may try it just to, um, just to see what happens when he flattens me, but, but he wouldn't have faith that I could catch him. And not successfully, that is. But if I were to put Gretchen up there and say, Gretchen, jump into my arms, or put Will up there, because um, Gretchen, she still may not, but Will would. Will would jump. But if Brother Baker gets up there and I say, Brother Baker, jump into pastor's arms. He can say, I have faith. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to be successful at catching him. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be successful at keeping him and me both from injury. Our faith is only as effective as the object in which it is placed. Faith has to be tied to truth. I'm, I'm repeating and I'm repeating and I'm emphasizing. You have to be saturated with the word of Almighty God. We know how we feel. We talk about it. We tell others about it. 
But we have to know what God says. And we have to decide, we have to be rooted and grounded regardless of how we feel we're going to act on truth. Our part is to believe that Jesus, He can. He can enable us to overcome. Jesus has enough power to do battle in your circumstance. You already have enough strength to fight because God is your God. He has all authority and power. The shield of faith has been given to us to protect us from the deceptive strategies of the enemy. Now, I've said before, I, I'm not a, I haven't really gotten into watching the Olympics anymore. I, I just don't like the, how political it's gotten. I don't like all the, the social, um, uh, as we're going through Sunday school, the social justices. I don't like seeing all that being fleshed out through our sports and how that's being crammed down. Our throats, but I, I do remember a few times watching certain uh, Olympic activities and, 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 and just being challenged just by the level of commitment of, of some of those athletes that have spent their entire life just for a single event. Now, there are, you know, some I just I'll never figure out, I'll never figure out why it's even a sport. Um, figure skating is one of them, and I remember not long ago hearing about, I guess this past year or so, which ones were actually homosexual and, and which ones were, have identified as homosexual. And I thought, what news is there? <laughs> I thought that's the way it's always been, you know. And there's a reason they're not on the hockey team, that's for sure. And, and so, um, so there's some things I don't quite get. But I remember back in 1996 uh, in the Olympics, and it was the final night of the women's gymnastics team event. And the United States was in second place behind the Russians. And they needed a decent score in the vault in order to pass um, the, the Russians. And a young girl by the name of Carrie Strug stood on the mat as the final gymnast in that lineup to vault for the Americans. The gymnast that had gone before Carrie had, had fallen on both of their vaults. And so the Americans had to throw out the score. And they're only allowed to throw out one score per round. It meant that Carrie's score was the only way that the Americans could potentially, possibly uh, get gold, silver, or bronze. It was entirely up to Carrie. The weight of the nation rested upon a, an 88-pound frame. And Carrie also didn't have the reputation for being all that tough in the clutch. In fact, she was known for buckling under pressure. She had earned the term... Um, baby of the seven member group over the years because the coaches had to handle her with kid gloves. But the vault was her specialty. And the Americans had not anticipated the race being as close as it was. And so she had been slated as the last girl to run. She needed a score that uh, was at least 9.4 on her final vault in order to secure the gold. And she had two chances to do it. On her first vault, she held true to her reputation. She crumbled under the pressure and she fell. She sprained her ankle and she actually tore ligaments as well. A hush came over the crowd as the spectators began to doubt that America would even get gold. How could Carrie even vault again? She was demonstrating she could barely walk. She felt the urgings of her teammate to try again. So Carrie limped back to the starting point. 
You could see the tears in her eyes. She was doing everything she could to fight them back. And she knew that all of her teammates' hopes and dreams were in this very last vault. But as she would later say, she didn't even know if she could run, let alone vault. So she considered just walking away, and it would have been understandable. But the voice of her coach, Bella Carioli, sealed her decision to stay. Bella yelled, you can do it, Carrie. You can do it. She looked at him. She believed. Now, we know this because her feet demonstrated her belief. She saluted the judges. And after doing so, Carrie ran toward the vault. She propelled herself one last time into the air, hardly able to hold her foot down long enough through the pain of the torn ligaments to secure the score. But she managed to do so for a moment, having nailed her landing. Then immediately, Carrie collapsed in agony and tears on the mat. She was carried down the stairs as the score went up. And it was more than enough. The Americans had won. Carrie grabbed the gold. Later on, Carrie revealed what pushed her to try one last time, further than she had ever gone, harder than she had ever fought. She said, when Bella looks at you and says, you can do it, you know you can. I want to say, Carrie exercised faith. And she got the gold because her faith showed up in her feet. Perhaps Satan and his demons have knocked you down. Maybe you're limping from disappointment, pain, broken dreams, other losses in your life. You might be questioning whether you'll ever run again. You might wonder if you should stop trying altogether. But I'm telling you tonight, through the authority of the Word of God, God is reminding you and me that He has never asked you to do anything that He is not absolutely certain you can do through Him. If you'll listen closely, you'll be able to hear your comforter called alongside to help you. You can do it. You can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth you. So I say tonight, church, trust Him. Pick up the shield of faith and with it grab the victory that has already been won. Let's stand together please.